The reading this morning, as we've heard already, is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. <clears throat> Excuse me. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members and unite of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Quora is a website set up for the purpose of gaining and sharing knowledge by posing and answering a range of different questions. Responses to the question, what would life be like without rules, are almost entirely negative. The world would be engulfed by a sea of fire. There'd be no peace, just chaos, confusion, accidents. It would be a human jungle, every man for himself with no mercy. You would enter a Marxist state. No rules would mean no political structure and chaos would ensue. It's like you sit down to read a big fat book. It's interesting. And halfway through you realise that the chapters aren't in order. It's mixed up. It's chaotic. It's frustrating And it's time-consuming. That's what life without rules would be like. It would be like a boat without oars, a car without a steering wheel, a ship without a rudder, humanity without intellect. The church in Corinth was quite keen on not having any rules. All things are lawful for me. That was their slogan. Everything is permissible for me. Anything goes. And without rules, at least for some of them, personal gratification seemed to rise to the top of the agenda. Food's made for the stomach. Stomach's made for food. So let's eat, drink, be merry. The body really doesn't matter because you won't be taking it with you when you die. If I'm hungry, I'll eat whatever I fancy. If I'm thirsty, I'll have whatever I want to drink. If I'm tired, I'll just go to sleep. If I fancy someone, I'll sleep with them. 
No rules means freedom to do whatever I want, when I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it with. Such an attitude does indeed lead to anarchy, chaos and conflict. Yet despite that, Paul doesn't respond to what was going on in Corinth by laying down rules for them to obey. His response to their no rules slogan wasn't to say, you've got it wrong, actually there's a long list of rules that you need to keep. Far from it actually. Because contrary to popular opinion, the Christian life is not about keeping a set of rules at all. The Christian life is about freedom. But not the freedom to do whatever I want, but rather the freedom to do whatever is good and right. So Paul qualifies their slogan. He doesn't say it's wrong, but he makes it clear that liberty is not the same as libertinism. All things are lawful for me, yes, but not everything is helpful or beneficial. Whereas the slogan was entirely self-centred, all things are lawful for me, Paul widens the horizons of what is helpful or beneficial beyond the confines of just myself. No rules may mean I can do whatever I like. But if I am to think about whether what I do is going to be helpful or beneficial, then I am going to need to take other people into account. And if I behave entirely selfishly, as I'm inclined to do sometimes, then clearly that's not going to be helpful or beneficial to anyone around me. But arguably Paul's qualification goes even further than that. It's not just avoiding behaviour that does more harm than good. It's about engaging in behaviour that actually avoids harm, actively avoids harm, and promotes what is good, what is helpful or beneficial to others. That's what I'm free to do. Freedom is not about me. Gordon Fee puts it bluntly. Freedom is not for self, but for others. The real question is not whether an action is lawful or right, or even all right, but whether it's good, whether it benefits. Not just about whether it's good for me. What is inherently good is going to be good for you as well, for everyone's benefit, not just my own. Rosemary made the point in the prayer, we are inherently relational beings. That means in our bodily existence, we're not at liberty to blunder through life with a complete disregard for everybody else around us. We're not free to pursue whatever to desire takes our fancy. We are called to goodness. We are called to virtue. We are called to what is right. We are called to what is beneficial for everybody else around us. Figuring out what that means in practice is a lot harder and more complicated than obeying a set of rules. But it's our calling. It's what God called us to do. What is helpful? What is beneficial? What is good? What is right in this situation? And then Paul qualifies the Corinthian slogan in a second way. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered or controlled by anything. The problem with the pursuit of pleasure is that we end up losing our self-control and being governed by our desires. Because the more you pursue pleasure, the more it seems to elude you. 
That's the path that leads to addiction. Quite independently of each other, Brian Wright at Traff Road and I have both just finished reading a great little book by Richard Raw entitled Breathing Underwater. It's a book that takes the 12-step recovery program for alcoholics and applies the 12 steps to everyone on the basis that actually we are all spiritually powerless. Alcoholics just have their powerlessness on show for everyone else to see. So he observes that Christians are usually sincere and well-intentioned people until you get to the real issues of ego, control, power, money, pleasure, and security. Their religion has never touched them or healed them at the unconscious level where all of the real motivation hurts, unforgiveness, anger, wounds and illusions are stored, hiding, and often fully operative. So what actually governs our behaviour? To what extent are we pushed around by our desires, our hurts, our fears, our emotions, our longings? God's desire, God's intention, God's purpose is to give us the gift of self-control. The ability to be masters of ourselves. The capacity to make good and right choices. You were created to be a free moral being. Good and right choices preserve that freedom. But every time we choose badly, it's like we give up a little bit of control of our lives to sin. And its consequences. Every bad choice means increasingly we lose the capacity that God has given us freely to choose the good. Choosing the wrong erodes our free will to choose what is right. And that's why at the end we need redeeming from ourselves. And that's what Jesus came to do. Paul says at the end of the chapter, you were bought at a price. What's he saying here? Christ gave his life to redeem us. He was willing to pay the price to release us from destructive patterns of thinking and bring us instead into God's extended family where rules are replaced by relationships. If we belong to God now, then it's incumbent on us to glorify God with our body, to honour God by how we live, how we live towards him, how we live towards those around us. Our focus is no longer on our own self-gratification, which just turns us in on ourselves. Living our lives for God brings us out of ourselves. And in that sense, we are set free to live our lives to their full potential. We, again, as Rosemary said, we are made in the image of God. And the nature of God is self giving love. We see that in the way which God sends Christ and the Spirit in the world into our lives. Christ to redeem us from ourselves, the Spirit to inhabit our lives and make us holy. And as God reaches out to us, as God lifts us up, our response is to reach back out to him in worship, living our lives for him and for others. It's in that giving out of ourselves that we reflect the image of God. It's in that giving out of ourselves that we find the true and lasting sense of freedom that is God's gift to us as he redeems us in Christ. 
God has redeemed us. He's lifted us up from ourselves. And as we glorify and honour and worship God in response to his grace towards us, we find that we are released. We're released into discovering that it's only in good relationships that we become truly human. Because it's when we're in good relationships with God and with each other that we are truly living as people made in the image of God. Living out our true identity. And it's as the Holy Spirit liberates us into that identity as he reigns in our hearts and in our minds, governing who we are and how we live. Because when the Spirit of God is in control, releasing us into our true identity, turning us outwards so we're living for God and living for others, you don't need rules then. Because the inherent selfishness that makes rules necessary is replaced with the self giving love of God as the Spirit governs who we are and how we live. And that is what Paul says right at the end of the chapter. He doesn't just talk about glorifying God. He talks about glorifying God in your body. Why? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some of us who are uncomfortable with our bodies may be inclined to wonder whether that could really be the case. We look in the mirror and think, my body? Really? Temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what Paul says. I vividly remember being struck by that verse in Galatians where Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the realisation that was true was quite a turning point for me. Actually, I don't need to apologise for who I am anymore. I don't need to feel bad about myself or detest the person I see when I look in the mirror. Christ lives in this person. He's chosen to make his home in me. And the person I don't like, well, that person's gone. Flawed as our bodies may be, nevertheless, Christ has chosen to make them his home by living in us by his Spirit, redeeming us from the mess that is there and making our bodies habitable for the living God. That means our bodies are united to Christ. That means God will raise these bodies up and transform them with resurrection and life at the return of Jesus. We are embodied beings. I'm not a soul in a body. This body is who I am. I can't separate myself from it. It's part of my identity. And Christ became a flesh and blood human being to redeem this flesh and blood body. Your flesh and blood body gives me and you his Holy Spirit to make this flesh and blood body his holy temple. So yes, as people whom God has redeemed, we're called to honour God with our bodies. And part of the way in which we honour God with our bodies is honouring our body because it is the temple of the living God. So don't abuse your body by engaging in casual sex. That's the point that Paul wants to make in this chapter. And he would say the same to us and more besides, certainly to Oxfam aid workers he'd make that point. But equally don't abuse your body with rubbish junk food or excess alcohol. Don't pollute it by smoking. Don't damage it by starving yourself or by self-harming. Your body, your body is valuable and important. 
because you are valuable and important to God. And how do we know that's true? Difficult as it is to accept, because God gave his son to redeem you. God gives you his Holy Spirit to indwell your body and make it his temple. Gordon Fee puts it well, our individual bodies don't belong to us alone in a selfish, self-centered way. Rather, they belong to Christ, purchased by him through redemption and now indwelt by God's Spirit to be God's own sanctuary. By redeeming your body, by giving his Son for you, by indwelling your body, by giving the Holy Spirit to you, God invests your body with value and dignity. He makes your body worthy of honour and respect because in giving his Son for you and his Spirit to you, he has shown that you are worthy of honour and respect. And because you are someone worthy of honour and respect, he doesn't give you a long list of rules that you need to keep. He says, use your body to honour and glorify the one who gave his life to redeem you and set you free. Don't give that freedom up for any price, to any addictive desires. Instead, use your body, use the life you live in this body for good, for your good, for the good of everyone else around you. That's our calling. That's our privilege. That's what we were made to do when God made us. So let's pray.